This is WKOK Sunrise on your station for the best news, talk, and sports. News Radio 1070 WKOK and WKOK.com. And thank you so much for joining us on WKOK Sunrise. Rob Centers uh, making the sliders go up and down and the archive get archived. So we appreciate that. Our fabulous producer this morning. We always appreciate his help and hard work. And we thank you for joining us. On the news line with us now, Dr. Thomas Cassidy, professor of mathematics at Bucknell University, going to be talking about a recent study that he participated in. Good morning, Dr. Cassidy. Thanks for calling in today. Good morning. It's good to be here. I have a feeling that when I talk to a mathematician, I'm probably missing something in the world that, you know, math is really at the heart of everything that happens. Do you drive around and go through your life thinking, oh my gosh, the whole world doesn't know that really everything that happens on our planet is a like a series of math equations kind of panning out and, and doing their thing? Well, you know, there is a lot of mathematics out there, but we don't know it all, so we're always learning new things. Well, and I, know th- I noticed that on your webpage you talk about non-commutative ring theory expert. And this is what, in a nutshell, when mathematical formulas don't always perform exactly the same way with different inputs, I suppose? Um, yeah, that's one way to describe it. It's a very abstract study, but it's also very interesting. And what happens? What's, the, what's going to be the advantage to humankind when we, when we do know all the answers about communicative theory? Well, you know, I don't think we'll ever get to the point where we know all the answers. <laughs> but I think it's great to learn more. Well, and I think this we're, we're glad you're doing the research, and it's always interesting to hear uh, uh, about a mathematical researcher. Well, you and some colleagues uh, in, in the field, or some peers in the field, did a study. So tell us about the study, uh, why do the study, who did it, and uh, some of your findings. Sure. So we were working on the um, distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. The problem is, there aren't enough vaccines to go around. We know we'd like to vaccinate everybody, but there's a shortage. Um, So the question is, who should get the vaccine first? So I worked on this project with a couple of researchers from the University of California at Berkeley, um, and we were studying the apparent trade-off. So it would seem that if you give the vaccine to older people, you will save more lives. But if you give the vaccine to younger people, you will save more years of remaining life. So, for example, if you save the life of an 8-year-old, typical 80-year-old in the U.S. has a little less than 10 years of life expectancy. So you might say that saving an 80-year-old is saving 10 years of life. Now, if you save the life of a 50-year-old, you could say that you've saved 30 years of life because 50-year-olds in the U.S. have about 30 years of life expectancy. So it looks like there's a trade-off. You can save more 80-year-olds, but you can save more years of life if you give the vaccine to younger people. So our study was to actually investigate this and figure out what will save the most total years of life. Who should get the vaccine first if we wanted to save 
the most total years of life. Well, let me interject before you continue. There were arguments at this time about four or five months ago before the vaccines were out that we isolate older people and give the vaccines to all essential workers, all workers, all people out and about and moms and dads out there and, uh, you know, teenagers, as high, you know, 18 and up, that we give it to them while we keep older folks in deep isolation. So, so that idea is kind of in the background when vaccines come out. So continue. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very complicated problem of how to distribute the vaccines. There's issues of uh, who gets infected first. The idea is that frontline workers need to get the vaccine. My colleagues and I did not completely solve the problem of who to vaccinate first, but we think we may have simplified the problem a little bit. We've taken away one piece of confusion. And it has to do with the difference in mortality rates between younger people and older people and how that plays off between the difference in life expectancy between younger people and older people. And what we discovered is that we already knew that vaccinating the oldest would save the most number of lives. And it was thought that vaccinating younger people would save the most total years of life. But we showed that actually vaccinating the oldest will also save the most total years of life. In other words, there's two reasons to start with the older people first. And it is, I guess the linchpin there is that older folks die more often from the disease than younger folks. Exactly, and quite a bit more often. So in a world where you don't have enough vaccines to go around, if you vaccinate the oldest, you'll save many more lives, and that you will also save more total years of life. And that has to do with the particular mortality rates of COVID-19. Well, and I would think as a researcher who's doing this study and applying mathematical theory that you really wouldn't have any way to apply without a pandemic, that this is your time. It's not exciting, but it probably is interesting to see some of your best theories pan out and lots of older folks going to be enjoying more years because of the vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that our research will help policymakers uh who are wrestling with the difficult decision of how to distribute the vaccine. It's not an easy question. It's a very complicated one, but we may have helped that decision-making process a little bit. Now tell me about the, uh, let, let's look at what really is happening in the U.S. right now. Uh, we do have case numbers are going down and deaths are going down, hospitalizations are going down. The number of individuals who've been vaccinated, I think, is in the 10 to 15 percent range, something along that line, and about 10 percent of the U.S. population has had uh, COVID-19. You're watching all this play out. Any surprises there? Is this sort of the suspected, the expected outcome? Well, you know, frankly, it's a relief. It's been a rough year for all of us, um, and it's it's really great to finally see those numbers going down. I realize that other parts of the world are still struggling. We're ahead of some countries. Um, but things seem to be turning around um, and in, a, in the way we'd like to see it. What is the, is it the impact of vaccinations that's helping the numbers to go down now? I don't think it's one single cause. Vaccinations are certainly part of it, but people have been taking precautions. Um, and as you mentioned, some people have already had COVID. So it's a combination of things. We're not done yet, but things are going in the right direction.
one of our good listeners suggested also on the radio this week that there's nothing to do in February, so nobody had any big gatherings to go to. If you were <laughs> able, to, if, yeah, if you're able to stay away from the Super Bowl party, you probably didn't see that many people in February anyway. So you know that's probably part of the dynamic. Yeah. As you monitor what's unfolding in the U.S., what is the impact of vaccine hesitancy? Um, I understand that people are hesitant. It's a new thing, um, and new things come with risks. And that may eventually slow down the, uh, getting the entire population vaccinated. But right now, there are plenty of people eager to get the vaccine. A lot of us are waiting for our turn, and we'll be have a great sense of relief when we finally can get vaccinated. Now, if only you know two-thirds or three-quarters of the country ever get vaccinated, would that be sufficient to make the pandemic uh, just a little asterisk in the background of our, you know, sort of disease uh, possibilities? Well, I don't know for sure. I think we'll have to see how it plays out. There are new variants that are more contagious. Um, Part of the problem is that even as we're learning about it, it's evolving and changing. So we're going to have to keep paying close attention, um, and I think the science is still being worked on. Now, as you work with demographers, what are you watching closely as we continue into the months ahead? You know, what is your most closely watched uh, statistic or parameter, and what else is on the list of things you're going to watch closely in the months ahead? Well, certainly um, how mortality rates vary by different groups of the population. So we know the oldest are at the most risk, but there are other people in the population who are also at great risk. Um, People who have um, underlying health conditions are at greater risk than some of the healthier people. And we're still learning about some of that. So I think we'll be watching that for sure. And we'll be watching to see uh, what happens to infection rates. And if if, you know, this isolation that people have done paying off, whether infection rates go very low or whether they persist. Hard to predict. What are the trade-offs when we're doing this? You alluded to it in almost your very first answer. Uh, What are the trade-offs? It seems to me we're we're trying to strike some kind of balance here or assertively make a selection and see how it goes. Yeah, it is a, a, a difficult question when there's a shortage of vaccines. I think the decision to um, vaccinate frontline workers and healthcare workers for a re- really good choice. Um, but even when we made that really good choice, there was a trade-off. When we gave the vaccine to one group of people, then there are others who had to wait longer. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's a challenge for policymakers who understand shortages. Um, but I think they've been making wise choices so far. What are What's a big question no one's asking? I would never even think to ask you what. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think one thing we know is that even when this pandemic is over, um, there's another one someday in the future. We don't know whether it's 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now. So one thing we can get out of this experience is learn for the future. And The big question is, what are we going to do different next time? All right, so hopefully we'll have some lessons learned. And uh, you are monitoring and watching and closely studying the pandemic. What else are you uh, monitoring and closely watching in our world or in our society? What's another source of fascination or interest for you? 
Um, well, you know, it's that strange non-commutative ring theory. <laughs> I'm also watching that. But that's not that much in our society. That's just among an esoteric topic among mathematicians. Um, <laughs> but demographers are interested in a lot of things with population dynamics and how populations change over time, how, um, how our, our human lives change over time. And that's an interest, uh, I think, for everybody. I would say you can't get on a public transit bus and strike up a, a conversation about non-communicative theory with the person next to you, unless, of course, it's, it's the Bucknell shuttle bus that takes you and the kids downtown, in which case you, might, right. you <laughs> might find fertile ground for that. Well, well thank you so much for your, your uh, time on this, Professor Cassidy, and that interest. I, I honestly think a lot of people in uh, public health decision-makers are happy to hear this study uh, underscores what, they were, what their theory and uh, and saves really maybe more lives than they even anticipated. So uh, I think this is probably good news for a wide range of individuals. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, thanks for talking with me. All right, thank you so much. That is Professor Thomas Cassidy, Bucknell University, professor of mathematics, uh, talking about an international study he co-authored uh, with uh, the payoffs and trade-offs associated with uh, what age brackets get vaccinated first. And you know that uh, we're vaccinating individuals over the age of 65, and that was one theory talked about, and that's what we're doing. But, uh, of course, there was uh, other theories associated with that, so we appreciate his uh, study into that.